Amen. Please sit. Do you know what time it is? Do you? I asked that question at 8 o'clock and someone said, early. <laughs> a couple of years ago, I took a, a group of teenagers on a youth retreat. And like all good leaders of youth retreats, the last thing we did before we got off the bus was go around with a basket and take away all their cell phones. And then we circled up outside in front of this sort of clock tower where there was this big analog clock. And we told the kids that they had some time to go to their rooms and settle in and kind of put their stuff down. And we told them when they needed to be back so that we could get started. And one sort of brave girl said, so you took our phones. And I said, yeah. I looked at my co-leaders and I was like, yep, we did. We took your phones. And she said, well, I don't have a watch on, so I can't tell time. And I sort of looked at them like, what do you mean? So somebody else finally says, we don't know how to tell time. And so my co-leader sort of looks at the, the big clock that's in front of us that you can see from basically all of camp and does this like sweeping gesture of like, but here's the clock. And another kid says, we don't know how to read that. No one ever taught us. So without our phones or a digital clock, we can't tell time. We don't know how to read that. No one ever taught us. So we literally don't know what time it is. And I realized in that moment that we had missed something important, generational, obviously, um, <laughs> but something important. They literally didn't know how to read this clock that you know, we all assumed they would be able to read. Now, truthfully, um, if you know me, if you've gotten to know me fairly well, you know that I'm a little obsessed with time. If I'm late for something, it's because the sky literally is falling and something out of my control has happened that I could not fix, and it ruins the whole rest of my day. I'm just super paranoid about being on time. And I feel that way about church starting late as well, which Chris can attest to. You can ask him that story after church if you like. Um, I really don't mind, genuinely don't care if you are late for lunch or coffee or church, better late than never. But if I am late, it makes me crazy. And part of that, I think, is that my work, this work that I love doing with all of you, is so tuned in to time, right? I am there often when people reach the end of their time. And I'm there often when people are losing someone they love who's at the end of their time. And like all of you, I've lost people that I love. And when that happens, that reminds us that our time and the time of the people we love, at least here, isn't eternal. It doesn't go on and on forever. There's only so much of it. And so I am perhaps a little too sensitive to the time that we have. And I want all of it, truthfully. I want all of it. And that's even though I'm pretty confident, perhaps very confident, about the fact that there is more time after this, different time, but more time. Still, there's something about this, isn't there? Our texts this morning are all about time. In fact, this day is all about time. 
Um, while the secular world and, and all of us celebrate the turning over of the calendar from December 31st to January 1st, um, the church has a different year with different priorities. It's not based on a secular calendar. It's not based on the business year or the financial fiscal year. It's based on the story of Jesus. So the priorities are a little different. And we start on this day, on the first Sunday in Advent, every year. So Advent sort of has pride of place, almost. It, it's the first part of the year. And of course, that's because we're preparing for the beginning of the story. Advent is a season of waiting and preparation. It's a season when we hear these texts that remind us of a couple of key themes, and today is really about time. The passage that you heard first from Isaiah is a prophetic vision of what a place out of time might look like, of what it could look like when God's promises are all fulfilled, of a mountain of the Lord that rises out of the covenant that God made with Israel, the covenant God makes with the chosen people, that then is opened to all the world. It's a place where there is peace, where there is justice. Surely you've heard some famous people use those lines before about beating swords into plowshares, about nations streaming and not learning war anymore. They're strong, powerful, prophetic words about a place that the whole world will go to learn how to live like Jesus, peacefully, justly. And it's a place, Isaiah describes it, is sort of out of time. And then when we get to the epistle this morning, Paul is a little, frankly, I think he's a little pedantic. He writes to the Romans, you know what time it is. You know. So wake up. Wake up. Time. And then when we come to Jesus, the thing about the gospel is that Jesus knows what that other time looks like. He knows what happens deeply, intimately. He's exceedingly aware of what happens when this time runs out for him. So you would think he might not be all that interested in this time, right? You would think that he would just be focused on interpreting the signs and showing us the way and leading us into the next time that God has planned. But instead, when we look at Jesus' life, we watch him feast. We watch him celebrate. We watch him weep at the tomb of his friend. We watch him connect to a whole community of people, a close circle and then bigger circles. We watch him live fully. He is fully present in the moment, even as he is interpreting the signs and showing us the way to the next time. The problem is that we are not very practiced at reading God's clock. We are not very practiced at interpreting the signs and understanding where God is breaking into the world, which is why we begin every year with the season of Advent that reminds us that God did already break into the world in the person of Jesus and continues every day in you and around you to break into the world again. And as Paul says, it's our job to wake up and be a part of that, to see that God didn't just create once, but is still creating now, and is creating in you and around you. This whole season, these four weeks, even though it's short, is an invitation to look again 
at how present we are in this time that we have and how much we are preparing for the next time that we don't quite know yet. Can you think of a time in your life when time has shifted for you a little? When it's either gone much slower or much faster? These last couple of days, um, we were away with some friends of ours for Thanksgiving, which was lovely, and mostly we spent a couple of days watching a little one-year-old kind of totter around. So it was very quiet and still, the way it's quiet and still when you're trying to keep a one-year-old from bonking her head on things all the time. So we were very kind of rested and calm for a couple of days. And then eventually one of our friends got sick you know, ate something, got a virus, something, but like really, really sick. And all of a sudden, everything sort of shifted for us. All of a sudden, we were, you know, putting on presentable grown-up clothes instead of PJs, getting in the car, running to CVS in the middle of the night, standing in line behind people that I thought were taking entirely too long. Just saying. And as we were standing in that line, I was acutely aware of the fact that the minutes were spreading. And that while we were standing in that line, and I was waiting to take drugs back to our friends so that she would feel a little better, she was just kind of suffering. And isn't that what it's like when we love someone and they're hurting? Isn't that what it's like? Doesn't it feel like the time sort of stretches? Now granted, this was not life-threatening, and it was not earth-shattering, and she's fine. But for a little while, I had this heightened awareness of time, of how slow and how fast, of how frustratingly out of my control it is, of how much I can and can't do in the midst of it. The invitation of these texts is to try to have that heightened awareness all the time. And not just about the people we love, but about everybody around us. Because the invitation of these texts and of the signs of Advent and the story of salvation is really about weaving all of our stories together into God's story that leads to that mountain, that place out of time, that place where Jesus stops time and brings it all to a peaceful pause. The invitation of these texts is to hear the story of Jesus and then to find it in the world around us and to experience that heightened, urgent awareness of everyone else's story and everyone else's need and everyone else's ability to contribute to the work of building the kingdom. And we can only do that if we are actually present in the moment now and still trying to learn how to read God's clock and tell the time, and figure out what that next time will be like. So I want to invite you this week to consider how present you are in this time, how much you are preparing for the next time, and what it is that's preventing you from really waking up to both. Advent is an invitation to step back into prayer and study and community, to draw nearer to God, to draw nearer to each other, and to prepare for what we believe is God breaking into the world at Christmas. 
It's an invitation to a heightened awareness that God is already working in you and around you. So what is stopping you from waking up? May we not look at Jesus when he comes and say, I'm sorry, no one ever taught me how to read that. I don't know what time it is. Instead, if we follow him to the mountain, may we learn how to interpret the time and the signs, not just for us, but for the people around us. Amen. Please stand as we affirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen.